it, it wasn't that so much like I was broke and I have any money. I mean, I was using a credit card sometimes to pay that monthly lot, but it was just this thing just sitting there, just gnawing at me. And then where I have to make a payment every single month and it's just capital sitting there. Is... Hi, I'm Terry Shower, and you're listening to the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. I'm here with Paul DeCampo. Paul is a copywriter in the real estate space. I'm going to get him to explain to us exactly what that is in a minute. He's joining us from Idaho, which Paul just explained to me is south of Calgary, for those of you Canadian listeners who are not uh, <laughs> situating exactly where that is on the map. So well, welcome to the show, Paul. Uh, glad to be on, Terry. Appreciate it. So um, just by way of getting started, can you tell me a little bit about your journey through life that has led you to be sitting here with me today? Yeah. So yep. at the end of the day, I'm a copywriter today, active professional copywriter, have my own business where we implement certain copy uh, marketing templates and sequences for investors. But I started off as an investor. I, I still am an investor, but I started off as an operator, a wholesaler, uh, flipper back in 2016, 2015. Just like everybody uh, dug into Rich Dad, Poor Dad, you know, no, no, no sexy uh, story, but just, uh, you know, read the book and dove into the rabbit hole of, of biggerpockets.com, of, of wholesaling. And, and I started just marketing, uh, mailing a lot. I, I came from W2, blue collar world. I didn't know anything about sales, about marketing. Uh, I was a welder. I was uh, a crew foreman for a natural gas company at the time. I was living in, I was living in Southern California at the time. So really competitive hot market for real estate. And so I, I had a hard time, like a lot of people jumping in. I, I, you know, I was door knocking foreclosures. I have a story uh, that I tell people who subscribe to my email list about how I got uh, chased down by, by gangbangers in, the, in a bad neighborhood of SoCal because I was door knocking the wrong neighborhood uh, for foreclosures. And, uh, and so I had a hard time and uh, it mainly came because I didn't really know what to do uh, as far as following up with sellers. I'm going direct to seller, by the way. This isn't um, MLS, this isn't making offers on MLS, although I, I probably should have, I probably should have done a lot more of that, but this is direct to seller, um, uh, marketing and sales. Uh, so I remember sitting in my car cause I had to get away from, from the kids to make follow up calls. I'd be sitting in my car going through my list. I had a CRM at the time, uh, going through my list of who to follow up with and you had to get to Mrs. Sally, the seller, and I would see it and. I would make that call, but I don't know if this is just me or if this was this is other people. But every time I make a follow up call, I feel like um, it was. I really hope that they don't answer. And so you, I was going through that stage. It was just constant fear. I didn't know what to say, or I'd let some justification get in the way. I'd say, you know what, Mrs. Sally, I called her. I called her two weeks ago. I think I'm just going to push her off for another two weeks. And and um, so my point of my story is. Uh, that led me into exploring getting to get better at sales mark because I really sucked at it. So uh, I I went to the rabbit hole of uh, of marketing and copy from Trevor Mock at Investor Carrot. He um, he's the one that I really attached to and learned a lot a lot of stuff from him. And then that just opened up another rabbit hole of marketing and, and direct response marketing and copy. And I read every bunch of old school books on on the topic. I accidentally became a copywriter for for Carrot for for Trevor Mock, investorcarrot.com. And um I was writing about a year for them. I was flipping mobile homes at the time as well. So things started to pick up. I was flipping mobile homes onto notes. I was flipping land into notes as well. I was creating a land flipping business. 
at the same time, I was doing freelance copy. And so around 2019, I had to make a decision. Uh, I had, cause I wanted to quit my W2. So I had to make a decision, either continue doing land flipping and building that business. That's going to take about three, maybe four years to actually have consistency or just quit now and do freelance copy because that was a, you know, tomorrow I, I'd have the same amount of income coming from my W2. Uh, I chose the latter because it was just a faster route and I actually enjoyed doing it. I actually enjoyed writing direct response. I write direct mail packages for uh, land developers selling, selling um, hotel developments in Vegas. Uh, I was writing for coaches, writing for, um, print shops, uh, managing their email marketing and things like that. Uh, along the way, I created a, um, a service for uh, off-market investors where we, we create uh, copy-driven drip sequences or follow-up systems for, um, for their CRM where, where no leads fall through the cracks because 80% of these seller leads, they're, they're not going to sell today, tomorrow, or the ne next week. They're going to sell three, six months, a year from now. So I want to make sure there's, a, there's a, a quality way that you follow up with these people. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so like, let's go there because I think, um, you know, if we're trying to create value for our listeners here, like this is something that we can all relate to. Um, no matter what kind of business you're in, if it's uh, you, you're looking, you know, maintain contact with sellers, if you have some other kind of business and you're capturing all these leads. And like you said, very often the purchasing decision or the selling decision, if you're in a real estate context, is going to be made maybe even months, maybe even a year after they first come into your ecosystem or you first touch base with them. And then how do we turn that into how do we create a system that none of those things fall through the cracks? So Tell me just from a really high level perspective, like how does that work? So let's say I'm doing direct mailings. Um, I talk to somebody and then they're not ready to make a decision right away. Then what happens? Like, tell me, just walk me through even what's a CRM, right? Because I think like a lot of our listeners, if they don't own a business, but they're, they've used a CRM, like it's not clear necessarily what's the value of that and and what does it, what does it do? Right. Yeah. So, you know, we've talked a little bit beforehand that um, you have a lot more Canadian listeners. So and there's, there's different rules, marketing rules that apply in Canada versus the U.S. So I'll, I'll try to be cognizant of, uh, cautious of that. Um, and so I'm, we're going to talk about a 10,000-foot view of it. So it's really just having a, a process of the way, a way of doing things rather than having being scattered brain about it, rather than allowing feelings to dictate how and when you follow up with somebody. Um, and that was my problem when I started. It was just, I was allowing feelings to drive the follow-up when it shouldn't be that way. I was allowing people to tell me when to follow up. For example, a seller says, oh, you know, I might sell in six months from now. So then you, you respect that, you respect that, and then you do that and you find out that you already sold. So um, it, as, a, as a marketer, you should be having instead a, a, a system that does the marketing for you rather than a seller telling how to market. Um, so, so there's a lot to unfold and unwrap um, what I do. So something that we do in Omnidrip is we deliver... Um, email SMS tasks that um, have call and uh, call scripts and and direct mail and, and I'm a big believer in direct mail for follow up as well. We're talking about when I say follow ups, just so everyone's clear. Now I'm going to talk about CRMs too. Um, I'm talking about when a lead raises their hand with, to you and and you've already you've already spoken them in some form and they're interested in what in, in getting an offer from you. That's what I mean by lead. I'm not talking about prospecting. I'm not talking about cold lead generation. Um, so I know that, you know, in, in Canada, probably SMS marketing, uh, cold marketing doesn't exist there. Um, and soon to not exist in the U S as well, but 
yeah, those, those are the, when I say follow up, I'm, I'm talking about when they tell you, hey, you're, we're not ready yet and you haven't given them an offer, you have a sequence there that leverages that event, a drip sequence. And CRMs, there's all kinds of CRMs. Do you use a CRM, Terry? I do. Okay, which one do you use? <laughs> well, actually, uh, I'm uh, quite active on LinkedIn. So I use uh, Octopus, which uh, works on LinkedIn. Um, and actually, we have a real estate coaching business. And our decision that we have to make in the next two weeks is which CRM we're going to use for our real estate coaching business. So, <laughs> And okay. I used to also coach martial arts. And in the studio, we had a CRM. Yeah. Which martial arts, by the way? I don't know if you can see my black belt on the bottom at which martial arts? Your black belt, <laughs> uh, jiu-jitsu, <laughs> Brazilian oh, jiu-jitsu. I am a practitioner jiu-jitsu. I'm not a black belt, but uh, I, I'm black belt in Sansu, Kung Fu Sansu. But um, cool. Um, don't mean to get this off rails, but uh, <laughs> you're not off the rails already. You say the world jiu-jitsu, right. and I'm already off the rails. <laughs> I, love, I absolutely love it. I love jiu-jitsu. So let's talk about CRM. I mean, like you need something. In, in every business, you need some something that um, is a database. So hey, I, I've met lots of old school investors that use spreadsheets. I met maybe two that use pen and paper <laughs> and a folder system, right? So yeah, that's fine if you can, it doesn't matter what tech you use. And you know, it's not the tech that does it for you. It, it, it's making sure everything's organized and you're keeping up with it. So you can have the best tech if you're not actually using it, it's worthless. So. A CRM is just a database that that can do a lot of bells and whistles stuff. Um, typically, I'm working with wholesalers who are using CRMs that are specific to the real estate world, specific to off-market um, wholesalers and flippers. So those CRMs, um, and I, I've worked in a dozen uh, of them, they all have uh, one purpose, and that is making sure your seller leads are there and that you're doing something with them. Um, so that means, you know, you're, you're, you can set, you can talk to sellers within those CRMs. All of them are different. All of them have different bells and whistles, but most of them, 99% of them, they have automation already. So what I mean by automation is, Hey, you get a seller comes in through your direct mail. They're, they're interested. Um, let's just say, for example, they, you give them an offer, but they tell you your offer is too low. So, so the next decision is what do you do with that lead? Are you going to call it dead? Are you going to continue following up? Um, in in the U.S. and the mentality of that is you keep following up because they want to sell. You don't know who they're going to sell to, so you might as well keep showing up. And so you can drop them into what's called a drip sequence, which is an like it's an automation within your CRM that will fire off all sorts of things for you. Most people just stick with SMS. I don't. I stick with SMS. I stick with um, a, a Loom video. I'll send a Loom video. Um, I'll send a direct mail piece. And a direct mail piece is not going to say, hey, I'm looking to buy our house. It's going to be in a format of, hey, we've spoken already. I know our offer was too low, but would you reconsider a new offer? Like some, something of that format, you know? Um, so I am getting them from all angles. So that, that's an example of what I mean by like CRM to a sequence. That's what an, a wholesaler would do. Um, I don't know, you know, I don't know how you, does that, have you seen, I mean, have you, with your students, do they operate in a CRM already or not really? Uh, I think not uh, Not really. I think uh, for for us here, wholesaling is not the biggest thing in Canada. Like not a whole ton of people have, make that their main um, gig. Uh, I think where this is most applicable is a lot of people will do like, you know, direct mailings. 
and then they will get answers from those direct mailings. People will call in and then um, that is where I see because I own a bunch of buildings and I get people's direct mailings and I see very often where the cracks are in their follow-up because there's actually only one guy who I spoke to once who has followed up. And like I must have gotten, I don't know, 20, 30 pieces of, of direct mail like that where like sometimes I take the time to call them, call the person back. Sometimes I email them. Sometimes I stalk them like on you know social media or whatever. And I know that I've had contact with them, but then there's just no follow-up. And then like a year later, I'll get another piece of mail from the same person who obviously doesn't know who I am. They're contacting me for a different building because my name's associated with a different address. And like there's kind of no, like very clearly they're not using a CRM because if they were, they wouldn't just send me the same piece of direct mail again. Like they would have be in some kind of different process. So I think just to like maybe make this super explicit for people who are not familiar with this process, it's like if you're building a business where you're going to have people who are interested, who are contacting you for a service or who you have one touch with, the CRM is like you said, just like a database, a computer, like a, you know, a piece of tech that allows you to follow up in a structured way. And then we'll even map that process out for you. And, you know, like in the martial arts context, we had this, um, you know, great piece of software, which I'm going to not remember it was like champion something. I'm not gonna remember exactly what it was. But I was floored by, you know, the software would remember people's birthdays. It would, you know, say, here's your one month anniversary of signing up at the studio. Like, let me, uh, it then has a pop-up, like, call to check on this membership thing. And it's just so powerful because as you're going about your daily business, you're receiving these alerts that are telling you, like, okay, follow up in this way with this person. And, like, sometimes the system will do it. Like, the system would send an automatic birthday email, but sometimes it will tell you to take an action. And, like, I remember being a student in a martial arts dojo that used a system like that and I was like so touched when they remembered my birthday I was like this is incredible you know and the 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 power of that is that you're really able to sort of like customize and personalize those things so that you don't lose things so maybe that's was a big blah blah for me but maybe you want to just like you have something else to say on the, the mapping that out did you know the real estate investors club podcast is starting a mastermind Imagine having the power and the knowledge that's shared in these podcasts in a group setting. You get to have accountability, build a peer group, and also develop a network that's going to help support your real estate goals. Please check out more information at terryshower.com and select the Mastermind tab on the drop-down menu on the left. Enjoying the episode so far? Have you really been listening to the episode or has your monkey mind been taking you off in one direction or another? Our mental habits can be our biggest assets or our biggest liabilities as we pursue certain goals. For me, the biggest performance gains have always come from training my mind. In my book, Mindful Landlord, I talk about how you can train your mind and how you can apply some of these strategies to your journey in the real estate field. The book is available on Amazon and also on its website, mindfullandlord.com. Now I'll stop evangelizing for the power of mental training and let you get back to the show. I know. I think that was perfect, actually. Uh, and a group sequence really, or CRM, you know, it's not needed if you're not looking to really scale. If you're doing one deal a month, one bit, what two deals a month, and you're not looking to expand past that, um, I get it. A spreadsheet probably works. It's still CRM, meaning it's it's um, it's a lead management. Another name for a CRM is lead management software. So it is. Some, something you're managing your leads with, right? You're still getting leads, but um, you know if you're gonna go and you we're past that, the, you definitely the CRM and the drip sequence is really gonna help you scale past that because 
it, you're taking you're taking yourself and you're multiplying yourself. So what I mean by that is is only there's only so many manual tasks you can send that you can set to, for yourself for every lead that comes in. If you're getting just let's just say 20 leads a month, uh, new leads a month, and that's a pretty decent volume. I mean that's that's an okay volume, but if you're doing that much, you either have to and you're and you're just using manual tasks to follow what follow up with people. Um, you either need to hire other people or you need to start implementing some sort of automation that starts to multiply yourself. Yeah, um, so that it's you're sending out an automatic email, an automatic text message at the right time. I'm a big believer in the whole marketing concept of of the right message to the right person at the right time. And so that's where the, my my sequence I sequences come into play. But I'll have I have like I have like 20 sequences. We have 20 sequences. Wholesalers love it. They eat it all up because, and and not just wholesale. I mean, the guys that are doing lots of volume, they love that because as soon as, and, and this is where the marketing comes into play and where it should come to play with anybody in this audience is with these sequences, you're, if, if somebody, if you have a lead that comes in and they express to you, you know, selling is delayed or they're going to keep the property, for instance. Well, you can either continue to manually put in a task to follow up. Or you could have a drip sequence that lev that leverages that scenario, like that event. What I mean by that is, if I put them in a drip sequence called like keeping it, they're keeping the property. Um, now I can use language, I can structure the language, the copy of those messages to fit that. You know, I now I that's piece of information I already know, like that I can automate. Right? I can talk about. Um, I understand that they're keeping it, but you know, if you're looking to sell, here's X, Y, Z, here's our benefit, here's our feature, whatever. I, I'll talk about copy in a bit, but if they uh, haven't booked an appointment or you, you haven't given them an offer yet, that's a piece of information I can leverage for automation, right? So, so they don't, they haven't booked an, an appointment. Okay. That's that I'm going to, my call to action is going to be, Hey, try out our offer at least. Hey, come book an appointment with us so you can, so we can t check out your house and give you an offer, right? Yeah, does that make sense, Terry? I mean, I kind of, I wouldn't, I kind of rambled there about about sequences, but uh, I want to try to make this as a good perspective for your audience because I know that they don't, they don't operate in that level. Yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, so I think like this is, um, think of it as like a, a decision tree within yeah. your system, right? Is that like along the journey, you're going to get specific pieces of information about people, and you know, I think of this as being on the like receiving end of it. Often people contact me for one building and I'm not ready to sell that building. But if they don't ask the question, they're not going to realize that like I own 20 other buildings. And if you don't like put it in a way, is there like, is there another property you're willing to consider selling? Or can we like have a conversation? I'm like, well, I just added this to my portfolio. I'm not ready to liquidate it yet. But if the person took the time to learn who am I or maybe touched back in with me in a different way, the conversation would turn into something completely different. And so like, in terms of like how you manage those pieces of information that you get, it allows you to touch the right person, like you said, in the right way. So maybe what would help actually me to understand how this works is how do you have this happen? Because so I have a newsletter, I manage it with MailChimp and like MailChimp has the possibility to create different lists. So you can have like a list of people who are in a suite, in a sequence for the podcast or people who were in a sequence for coaching or people who were in a sequence for like one specific different thing. So like, what is, how do you build that in? Like when you receive that piece of information, like how do you create your different sequences and how do you segment that? Yeah. Well, and for that business model, it'd be different from what I do with, with investors. I, I segment a lot less. I, I would segment a lot less for that business model. And I, I manage email lists of 
uh, 60,000 plus people. So I'm aware of segmenting and I can explain to you how we do it. But for investors, segment uh, actually between only three people. I segment landlord, vacant, and um, an owner-occupant. And I the reason why I do that, and I don't do it very often. I probably do it probably say half of my sequences I, I segment. But the reason why I do it is, is because I can now leverage from a landlord to a vacant property lead. Those two have very different problems that, that one, one and the other doesn't relate to. So I can only send so many messages. And this is where I think th- th- right here, what I'm going to talk about is like, will be very important for, for everyone listening here. And it's, I can now bring up a benefit that the other per, that the vacant house lead won't understand. I can talk about how I can I can buy the house with tenants in the property. For a vacant house lead, I can talk about the problems of um, how the house is deteriorating. I mean, I'm not I might not say it that way, but the house is deteriorating. Their their problem, the vacant problem, is that they've got a deteriorating house. It's a liability. Kids complain it. Squatters are in that house, um, and so forth and so forth. I can leverage that and I can give them the solution. For that, because uh, a cash offer here's here's what's important for investors. A cash offer doesn't really mean much. Like, what does that even like? It, mean, it can mean a whole host of things, right? But it, we often get ourselves in a trap of assuming that the other person understands what it's going to deliver, what a cash offer does. But cash offer for a motivated seller doesn't mean really much anything. It, it's what it's it's going to deliver, and what that means is when I first started off, I had a really uh, uh, old school investor give me this tip, and I was really I carried this on for 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 years. He told me to sit down and uh, write a hundred different ways that I benefit the seller. So I was struggling. I was struggling with that, and he had, he he knew what I was thinking, and what I was thinking is subconsciously I didn't believe in the value I bring to a seller. Uh, that it's just about the offer, it's just about the price. But really, there's when it comes to a motivated seller, the there's a whole host of things that we we bring to the table. We save them from embarrassment of putting a sign up. We save them from the embarrassment of a bunch of buyers going through the house because they can, you know, it's it's a mess, it's a hoarder house, whatever it is, and they're embarrassed by it. While a professional investor doesn't care about any of that stuff, we they can leave all their all their stuff behind, right? To think I was I was a motivated seller at one point in my life, and I once had a mobile home that uh, that I purchased, and the mar- the, sh- the market kind of. The local market kind of shifted in that park, and I used to do Lonnie deals, which was um, buy it in the park, and you, and you sell it on owner finance, sell it on a note. And so I bought it from the park, and um, well, I bought it too high, and the market kind of shifted, and I was stuck with this property for I think a, I think it was about a year, and I was still paying, making the the lot payments on it because it it was in a park. I was making those payments every single month. I, I, there was a point where it, you know, it was keeping me up at night. It really was. It, it wasn't that so much like I was broke and I have any money. I mean, I was using a credit card sometimes to pay that monthly lot, but it was just this the thing just sitting there, just gnawing at me. And, and where I have to make a payment every single month and it's just capital sitting there is, you know, it was literally keeping me up at night. And so I didn't really care what, you know, really what the price came in at. I just wanted it off my hands. So, um, I actually, I only took a $5,000 loss on that once I finally sold it. So not bad, but, um, but what I'm getting at is, is I understand the feelings that motivated seller goes to it. And it's not just, so, so when we keep repeating the same thing, the same mantra, are you still interested in selling? Are you still interested in the same variation? Just annoys the hell out of me. And 
instead, we want to we bring value by, by mentioning exactly what we're bringing to the table. Is it, you know, I, might, I might send a message that says, hey, hey, Mrs. Sally, I'm just letting you know, I know that you're still waiting on, I know that you, you believe our offer is too low, but just letting you know that with our offer, you can leave all your unwanted things behind, right? I bring in an actual feature and benefit to the table. Like, this is what we do. I might bring in also proof and credit, um, social proof and credibility as well. That's, that's important to bring in our marketing messages, meaning like it, you know, that, that's the, when it comes to sellers, especially motivated sellers, they're skeptical. And so, and they may be talking, they may be talking to other wholesalers, other flippers, um, other investors. So if I send a message uh, that directs them towards a review, say, Hey, this is Sally. Um, Hey, make sure you, whatever, whoever you use, make sure that uh, using somebody who's credible and has an online presence. Here's what other sellers say about us. That's a real message, by the way, that, that like a variation of it. I'm principles is there directing them towards my online assets for, for that proof and credibility. So anyway, that's just kind of a, my understanding, you know, that's my philosophy. That's how, what I've experienced over the years and what I've built into, into our systems. You're kind of uh, like getting towards the end of the time for the interview. Um, I wanted to just ask you, you know, in terms of, it sounds like you really did a lot of um, educating yourself as far as marketing goes and copywriting and stuff like that. You threw out a couple of names before. Are there some resources that our listeners could check out if they want to understand a little bit more, like how to wrap their heads around this process, a book, something that you recommend? Yeah, there's a lot of books out there, uh, but I don't know if they would be relevant to. So I mean, they can go to my website. Or, I mean, that's the first, I mean, that sells, I mean, it sounds like I'm shamelessly pitching it, but I, I think that would be the first step if you want to understand what exactly I'm talking about here. Because I, I do have my own automation. If you go to our Omnidrip and you find a sign-up link, you don't have to book a call. At the bottom of the page, there's a sign-up link to get samples and demo. You'll get put into an automation that actually talks about a lot of this stuff. But if you wanted to learn about copy, which I, and a lot of investors don't want to learn about copy. So, but if you happen to want to learn about copy, I would say check out Gary Halbert. Uh, he's he's long gone, but he's very he's a legendary copywriter. And yeah, I mean that's that, that's probably the two resources I would recommend if somebody wants to learn about copy for marketing. In, it, it, for marketing, I would say, and I'm looking at my bookshelf to see what I would that would be revel, relevant to to uh, this audience. I you know what spin selling is a really good this is for sales because sales and marketing is is goes hand in hand. Spin selling I think is a really excellent book on the, the sales process. Cause I, you know, I struggled with sales and I had to, I had to, I had to learn that whole, that whole thing, that the, the whole process of it and everything. And that book there spin selling, I thought was a really good breakdown of what you're actually spending. You, it's not, it's contrary to Zig Ziglar and all the great, and I love those guys, but it's contrary to that typical salesman look that you have that shows up Rari, slick suit, hair, hair back, big old smile. Um, it's, it's more of a question-based selling process. Yeah. And I think, uh, you know, you're putting a finger on something there that a lot of people struggle with because like real estate, whatever your, whatever door you're getting into it through, be it, you just, you know, became a real estate broker. You just got your license. Uh, if you're trying to start out as an investor, you're trying to raise capital for stuff. Like when people go into the business, it's a business. When people go into business, they struggle with the sales aspect because we all have had those like annoying, pushy used car salesmen, vacuum cleaner salesmen things. And people who have not chosen to make a life in sales very often struggle with that because they're like, I feel like I have to bother people. I feel like I have to sell myself. And anything that can kind of, you know, turn that on its head 
and get people to think about in a different way, I think is super constructive. So we're going to drop those links in the show notes. I I haven't read those um, two books, so or check out those two resources. So I know I'm going to check that out. Um, and uh, yeah, anything else that I missed? You want to add something else? Uh, I was going to say, if anybody struggles with that notion of, yeah, I think that's really a subconscious obstacle people face is, is getting over that hump of, of having to um, make a call, make a sale, um, not seem pushy and all that. Uh, there's a, usually books I can relate better when I'm like, I just got done reading it or I'm reading it now. I'm reading currently, which I thought I'd never like, but Kevin Hart's biography called um, Can't Make This Stuff Up. It's actually an excellent book on the hustle phase of an entrepreneur and and what it actually takes. The amount of all the all the little hustle he had to do uh, in the beginning as a comedian, um, be going beyond what people typically do. You know, so I I think a lot of people underestimate um, what it actually takes, and uh, so they you know they and I could relate because when I started I was the same way. It was like okay, well I'll send a thousand mailers this month, and I should see some traction. <laughs> right. I, I'll go door knock 10, 10 doors this month. I'll I'll go make. 50 cold calls and I'll make the decision whether or not to continue. It's like, no, it's like, it takes, it, it takes an incredible amount of effort to, to get to a point. And I know that's not to discourage anybody that all well, maybe it does discourage, people, but, but it is to just speak the truth of it. Um, and it, it's going to put, put you in a much better place. If you understand, Hey, if you put yourself in a goal, like I got to make a thousand, I'm, I, I'm going to make a thousand cold calls, you know, just, I don't think you can cold call in Canada. I'm not too sure, but, uh, that's for example, I'm making a thousand cold calls and I, I'll make a decision. I remember meeting uh, the guy that owns the biggest franchise in my local area, biggest franchise of this this fast food called um, Wawa Grill. It's pretty popular in SoCal. And um, he was struggling. He told me this story about his struggling was taking him a year or two and he wasn't making any money. He was broke. He was poor. He was trying to run this franchise. This first, he's a first time franchise owner. And his grandpa or, or his uncle gave him, uh, he said, give it yourself a thousand days and then make a decision. It. And I don't, I don't think people give give themselves that that enough uh, effort, you know, that, that that enough timeline, I should say, or that enough tasks or acting. So, anyway, that that's my last thing to say about mm -hmm. about. Mm -hmm. No, I think you're 100 percent right. And you know, we went off the usual script that I take my interviewees through um, because you have a specific business model. But like, that's my always my last question when I have people on the show is, you know, what lifestyle hits did you take, or what sacrifices did you make, and is it the social media? ecosystem that we live in that is all about private jets and people's happy moments. And it's not about all the time spent, like metaphorically running on the road, putting in those hours and all the difficult things. You know, you mentioned sleepless nights over your over your your trailer park situation. Like anybody who's been in the investment game for a while has had sleepless nights over countless things. But people, they don't that's not what they project out in public space. And it's also not what I think they um bear witness to when they have space on stage or space, you know, on podcasts or in public to talk about stuff because it's not projecting that seamless image of success. And I think, you know, us as people who have some airtime, like to be vulnerable and to say like, no, it is actually really hard. And here's how I stumbled. Here's how everybody who made it in a certain space, like we all struggle to get there. And the 10,000 hours or the thousand days or whatever the metric is of effort that you put into something like I think pulling back the curtain on that is just super important. 
So, Paul, we've gone a little bit over time. I want to really thank you for the time that you uh, spent with me today for the value that you shared with our audience. Um, I know I feel like I have some homework to do after the show. That's the way I like to leave my podcasts. I feel like I got some stuff that I, I need to follow up on. And uh, audience, if you know you found anything here constructive, you found it useful, you think a friend could profit from it, go ahead, share with one person. Um, Paul, thank you for being on the show with me. I appreciate being on. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Real Estate Investors Club podcast. If you want to own more buildings like my mom, like and subscribe. And share this episode with anyone who you think could profit from it. See you next time, real estate fans.